saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. If any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set them, uh, set him thereon. And the very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees, strode them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Well, the Lord Jesus is making his official presentation of the kingdom to to Israel. You know, Jesus came into the world as the Messiah of Israel. And a number of things you see him doing in his early ministry uh, help you to see how he was fulfilling Scripture. And this very event that is taking place that we just read in your hearing is one of the fulfillments of prophecy. He had to present himself as the king of Israel. Of course, we know what John said. We know the whole story. Having, you know, the hindsight is always better than foresight. You can look back and see, and we're just so smart because we can look back and see what happened. Uh, John said in John chapter 1, he came into his own, and his own received him not. But the good news is, but to them who received him, to them gave he a power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. Well, Jesus is now making this this offer of the kingdom uh, to Israel. And at first glance, one would think that it's all working out pretty well. I mean, after all, uh, they've lined the road on both sides. This adoring crowd laid palm branches along the path and along with their uh, with their robes as a sign of allegiance. They're even shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. My, what better way to greet the Messiah. It all looked like things were really going well. But was the scene what it appeared to be? I would say to you that It really wasn't what it appeared to be. In fact, the scene that we see here on this, uh, during this triumphant entry that Jesus is making into Jerusalem, it's repeated in the world even today. For I would submit to you that the attitudes and and, 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 and the people in general 
of Israel of that day. Those who were lining the street, shouting Hosanna to the son of David, and, and they were waving the palm branches and laying them before him and in and, and, and some sort of worshipful attitude, have the same, they, they look a whole lot like the people in the world today. I want to I give you some reasons that that is true. I want to draw some parallels for you today that will kind of help us to stop and realize. And I don't want to be, you know, if we're not careful, what happens is we, we can look very cynical at a, uh, at a situation in the Bible and, and then compare it uh, to a situation in the world today and we can be very negative and we can be very, uh, we can just look at it and say there's really not any hope. But I want to tell you to begin with, uh, while there are some negative things, there, there is still a lot of hope in this world today. Let's don't ever lose sight of that. But don't, don't look at the world through rose-colored glasses thinking that everything is a-okay just because we hear a few people naming the name of God and even some of them naming the name of Jesus. Everything's really not necessarily okay in the world that we live in. I want to draw these parallels for you, if I could. The, um, they're greeting the Lord Jesus in a, in a way that, uh, that you would think their hearts were just, they're prepared for the Messiah. But were they? I mean, they'd seen him performing all of these miracles. And certainly that would... Uh, as, that would prepare your heart. They had seen him and, and listened to him teach in their presence. We've been talking about the power of God and his miracles. And we've been talking about the wisdom of God uh, last week as we talked about his, his teaching ministry and, and the parables that he taught with. And speaking of miracles, we were talking before church. At, uh, you go over and read this same account in the book of Mark. And you find out that Jesus says, uh, he, he describes this this uh, baby donkey, so to speak, uh, that he's going to ride into town on as one that has never been sat on by man. You know anything about you know anything about donkeys or horses? Ken will tell you. Normally, you don't just go out and sit on one <laughs> and expect to ride into town without any problems. I kind of think they. Um, that that donkey knew who the creator was that was sitting on him, don't you? What a great miracle that had to be. But uh, the, the whole picture, I want us to look at these people. I want us to look at what was going on here. You would have thought that, you know, Jesus is, uh, that, that Israel is going to receive him as their Messiah and, and the whole world is going to be set straight because here comes Jesus into town in the midst of all of these adoring people. Well, let's look first of all at their motivation. We talk about how how they were much like the people of the world today. Israel was under great oppression from Rome. They, they and, and you can't blame them. They had a great desire for freedom and deliverance from their from their circumstances. They wanted to be free. They, they wanted to be out from under the, the iron hand of Rome. And they had a limited knowledge of, of God's plan. 
to give them a Messiah who would deliver them. When they saw Jesus coming, they expected a mighty hero who would come to town, uh, uh, you know, kind of like the uh, uh, the uh, the White Knight syndrome, so to speak. I mean, he's going to he's going to show up, and everything's going to be all right. He's going to put those Romans where they belong, and we'll never have to worry about anything anymore. They knew the prophecy of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter nine and. Verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Now, they knew something about this, this prophecy. They knew the part about the king is going to come to you. And he's just and he's... And he's going to have with him salvation. But what they didn't understand was the fact that he was going to be meek and lowly. They expected him to be a mighty warrior coming to town. I mean, here is Superman has shown up to save the day. They, they knew the prophecy which had become praise from the psalmist. Their, their shouts of Hosanna to the Son of David came from the 118th Psalm. And, and yet they... They didn't understand that the Messiah would come in peace. You see, a king coming to make war would have ridden a horse. But this king rode in on, on, on the foal of an ass. This was a, this was a, very, a sign of, of, uh, of humility and peace. And by the way, I, I must tell you also, it was one of the requirements in the law that God gave Moses to give to the kings that... They should not collect horses as a sign of power. Nothing wrong with owning horses. I'm grateful for that. I own a few in my lifetime. But the, the thing that he had told kings were, you are to ride on mules or donkeys. Because it showed humility and it showed who, who was really in charge. It showed that God was the one who was the true king. You go back and look at some of the kings of Israel and you'll see some failures in there. You remember Solomon? We talked about, you know, Solomon, wisest man in the world. Not only did he have 700 wives and 300 concubines, but he had just, I forget how many, hundreds if not thousands of horses and a huge stable. It was a sign of his impressive power. Some ways he wasn't as wise as man in the world, was he? Uh, man alive, I can't imagine anybody wanting to be married that much. But uh, and I love being married. But one woman's all any person needs. Amen. 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 <laughs> Thank you, man. <laughs> because we have the best ones, right, man? <laughs> Come on, this is your chance to get out of trouble here. But uh, but you know what? Here Jesus rides into town on a donkey. It's a sign of humility on his part. It's a sign of peace. He comes in peace. These people didn't understand that. Their whole motive was get us out of our circumstances. We don't care how you do it. And we really don't care who you are. We just want somebody to get us out of here. That's the whole motive that they had. Their motivation was wrong. And... I must tell you today that the world comes to God 
with the wrong motive. The world comes to God saying, get us out of this thing. Help us out here. We don't, we don't really care about you. We care about us. Take care of us. And unfortunately, that bleeds into a lot of the lives of a lot of Christians. We thank God that he saved us from hell. Thank God that he has delivered us. He has forgiven us from, uh, of our sin. And then we go on, and then when we, when we live our Christian lives, we basically say, Lord, we'll call on you when we need you. Our motives are wrong sometimes, folks. I know it's hard to hear, but it's true. We need to just stop and take, just take a little inventory, a little spiritual inventory about what our relationship is with God. Let me move on. Their motivation was wrong. Let's talk about their commitment for a minute. Their commitment, first of all, was shallow. If there is such a thing as that, I'm not sure that the, that's kind of one of those oxymorons, you know. Um, you either committed or you're not, right? Isn't the commitment, does that mean that you're committed? And how can you be partially committed? <laughs> but we talk about that, being partially committed and having shallow commitment. These people, basically, their commitment was shallow. It was it was very shallow. They were willing to, to come to Christ as long as it didn't cost them anything. After all, now, if he'll get us out of this situation with Rome, we'll come to him. Well, you know, he, he must be the deliverer that God promised us now, so let's, let's come to him before he's going to deliver us. Jesus had taught these same people earlier that if a man's going to follow him, he'd have to take up his cross daily. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and the verses that follow. Jesus, listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. He said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and, my, and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to be willing to, uh, to, to pay a price. It's called self-denial. Folks, we, we live in an age that is peddling a cheap Christianity. It doesn't cost anything. Let's and 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 I must say to you that uh, that that it is the fault of of uh, the church. It's the fault of pastors because when we put gaining a crowd ahead of truth, we water down and cheapen the gospel message. To something that it should not be. When we get so concerned about pleasing people and meeting the needs of people, 
And by the way, the gospel meets needs. Thank God that it does. It meets us right where we have the greatest need. But when we tiptoe around truth, and we, and I, believe me, let me, let me just stop and, and, and make a comment here about this. I cannot stand to listen to preachers or Christians of any sort who want to talk about how it ought to be hard to serve God. Well, it is. It don't, it, there is no ought to be about it. We don't need to make it. We have no calling as believers in Jesus Christ or as preachers of the gospel to, uh, nobody has called us to be obnoxious. And I'm afraid there's some, some of us as believers think that it's our calling in life. Some preachers think that it's their calling in life. And that's not my purpose to bring this up to you this morning. My purpose to tell you this this morning is Christianity is real and is worth something. And it costs Jesus his very life. And for us to think that we, we should be able to have it served up to us on a silver platter without... You know, it is a free gift. Thank God for that. But to think that we should be able to... Uh, to, to uh, Come to God expecting Him to make everything just totally easy for us and that we, uh, we, He should smooth out everything for us and that we should never have anything to deal with, that we shouldn't have to sacrifice. What we're doing is buying into a lie right straight out of the pit of hell. And nobody said amen to that, but it's true. I am... Uh, I'm convinced that it is a an insult to our holy God and the love that he has shown toward us when we have no greater commitment to serve him than these people did. You see these same people were not willing to make a sacrifice they were not willing to pay any sort of price. They were not willing to do anything. All they were concerned about was saying, God, come and do this for us. We're not doing anything for you. No, they wouldn't say that, but that's their attitude. And that's the attitude of a lot of people today. Whether it's people who, who, who don't know the Lord, who just want to try to tap into this whole Christian thing or, or, or to tap into this whole thing about God, uh, to think that they can call on God and then blame Him when things don't go to suit them. Or if it's Christians who want to, ju- who want to accept Him as their Savior but are not willing to follow Him and let Him run their lives. He deserves my total commitment. Not just some shallow thing of praise. They're out here on the hillside. He's coming down the coming down the the, the path as as the king presenting himself to them, and they're singing all the right songs. Boy, and we sing them all every week in church, and every church in in Nampa probably sings the same songs or some equivalent to them. And they're singing all the right songs. Praise unto him. Hosanna to the son of David. But what are we doing tomorrow? What are we doing on Tuesday and Wednesday 
and Thursday. You're right, some of us are praising the Lord. Thank God for that. But I'm telling you, sometimes we, even as Christians, find ourselves out here just living like the devil during the week. Oh, we would, no, we, we look good on the surface, but we're not, we, we, Sometimes we're not just we're just not willing to pay the price. We're not willing to uh, to to deny ourselves. It's got to be what's in it for me. I have no agenda. I'm telling you this morning. This is right from the Word of God. If any man would follow me, he must take up his his cross daily and follow me. He said. It takes some sacrifice. It's going to cost something. If we're going to follow him. Their commitment was self-serving. Their attitude was basically what's in it for me. And, and in fairness. They had a problem with perspective. And that's the problem we have a lot of times as believers. Is perspective. When you look at your, you look at the situation in your life, and you look at your life from the perspective of your problem, you're looking at it from the from the wrong perspective. You're looking at it from your perspective. You need to look at it from God's perspective. Is there anything too hard for God? Can God not take care of every situation in our lives? Theirs was one of perspective. All they could see is Rome. Rome has got their, is, is, they've got their foot on our necks. We can't move. We've got to have help. Here the, the creator of all creations presenting them, himself to them. And that's all they can think about. Thinking that they, they need to know that they have the opportunity to have a personal relationship with him, a holy God, who can cure all those problems if they'll let him. But they're just saying, fix it on our terms, not on yours. And that's that's the problem. Their commitment was wrong. Which brings us to the third and final observation. Talking about the, the Jews of Jesus' day being a lot like the people in the world today. Their commitment was shallow and self-serving. Their motivation was wrong. Let's talk about their end. Since their motivation was wrong and their commitment was basically non-existent, they ended up in failure. They ended up in failure. The same crowd crying, Hosanna to the Son of David, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, would later shout, crucify him. Same people. Their faith was dead, empty faith. And that's what we have in the world is a lot of dead, empty faith, I'm afraid. No, I'm not talking about everyone. But you know as well as I do, the world wants to claim the name of Jesus, but they want it on their terms. It's dead faith. Just like the the faith of these people. Their end was tragically wrong. It was failure. 
lot of people in this day and age that you and I live in experience what's commonly known as foxhole religion. I don't know if that's a term they use much today, but uh, I think probably that's something that came out of World War II, I would imagine. Foxhole religion. When you're in a foxhole, there's no atheist in foxholes, right? And we all heard that one. I mean, you know, you're you're uh, you're under attack, man. I'm telling you, you're a believer in God. Foxhole religion. Their circumstances become so difficult that they're beyond knowing what to do about it. So they turn to God in their own way. Our problem is like Israel. We have a limited knowledge of God and His plan for man. We know. We know he's out there and we have, we have heard that he can do anything so we are asking him to change our circumstances. When in fact we need to ask him to change us and then he can change our circumstances. Out of desperation we go to him hoping that he's going to fix things for us until we get back in control. He's in effect our spare tire. We know that he works. We don't know how to put him to work. So we make a feeble attempt at using him as our spare tire in life. And, and we find that it really doesn't work. That's what Israel did with Jesus. It didn't work with them either. Israel didn't learn anything from their history. You go back and. And read in the, the history of Israel in the Old Testament. And as they read this, or, or as they as they go back and think about this, and we read about the, uh, the 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 history of Israel, we we find that their ancestors had repeatedly returned to the Lord after ignoring Him. They were willing to repeat the cycle over and over and over and over again. It's amazing. You would think that they would have learned at some point not to have to repeat some of that. Over and over. And a merciful God would hear them in captivity. Their enemies would come and they would take them cap uh, captive and carry them off to another land and They'd be there in captivity and God in his mercy and in his grace would, would hear them and make it possible for them to go back to the land. And, and they'd serve him for a little while and, and they'd repeat the cycle. All of a sudden, they didn't need him anymore. And so God just said, okay, that's the way you want to work. You're going to get what you're asking for. They could never learn. Man's plan is like that. You see, when man has a, has a plan, it doesn't work. When the motivation's wrong, it doesn't work. When the, uh, when, when, when the, the, the commitment is shallow, it doesn't work. It always ends in tragedy. You know, today, we, in the last few years, in fact, we've heard of, uh, heard of a lot of soldiers over in, in Iraq um, coming to the Lord. And, and for that matter, even here at home. And thank God that they are. 
But we need to really be careful, as do they, that it's not just foxhole religion. And I, let me just let me just say this: there are a lot of genuine professions of faith in Christ on the battlefield. Don't get me wrong. I'm convinced there are probably more shallow, false professions that take place right here in times of peace than there are in times of war. When you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in your life, your life is changed forever. Not just long enough to get things under control and, then, and so you can get back to your old ways. That's the way Israel worked. For so long, they get things back into control and then eh, kind of gradually get right back into doing what they were doing for. Bring out the idols again. We're okay now. Now, I didn't say that, but that's what happened. It would gradually, they'd get them back. And you know what? That's kind of what happens in, in a, lot of, a lot of believers' lives even today. We get saved and we get, we're just overcome by the grace of God in our lives and His love in our lives. And man, we just get on fire and then we start cooling down a little bit and something happens and we just kind of get, and pretty soon we're living pretty close the way we were before. Oh, we're not quite as open about it. It's more private now, you know, because after all, somebody knows us might see what's going on. Folks, we got we to gotta know that Christ makes a difference in our lives and he makes that difference forever. Jesus would remind us that it's not fear of the enemy or fear of or, or, or concern about our circumstances or for that matter even fear of death that truly brings us to God. It's God himself that brings us to him. Jesus said no man can come to me except the Father which I, I has sent me draw him. Nobody is going to come to God unless he is drawn by the Father. That tells you something, doesn't it? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. Every head bowed and every eye closed, please. We're going to be out of here in just a little bit, but I want to um, I want to just challenge you this morning. What God wants us to do is to abandon our old ideas about what it takes to fix our lives and to trust Him. Israel thought they needed a Messiah to save them from Rome. While in truth they needed a Savior to save them from the penalty of sin. You know, Jesus was approached by... A rich young fellow one time in the scripture. He came to him asking, asking him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus told him all the things he needed to do about keeping the law and stuff. And, and of course, he wasn't, the Lord wasn't finished. And the, the fellow kind of interrupted and said, well, I've done all those things from, uh, from my youth on up. And Jesus said, Good. Then go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. He said, I want you to be willing 
Just be willing to abandon everything to follow me. You know, I'm convinced that he didn't have to sell a thing. He just had to be willing to sell it all. He had to have a willingness. You see, that's what commitment is all about. These people that, that, that greeted Jesus on Palm Sunday were not willing to abandon anything. They just wanted to be delivered out of their problem. This young man who had come to the Lord was not willing to really trust the Lord. He wanted to continue to hold on to the things of the world. He wouldn't come to the Lord on his terms. And the Bible said he went away sad because he had great possessions. His possessions ruled his life. He walked away from what could have been a wonderful and remarkable life. But yet he was never to be heard from again. I don't know whether he ever came to the Lord or not. But he didn't on that day. My challenge to you is to not be like that man. And attempt to to attach God to your life as if he were some kind of spare tire to be used in case of an emergency. I want to challenge you this morning to give your life to him on his terms. If you do, you'll have genuine peace and safety from now throughout eternity. You may be here this morning and you didn't hear what you expected to hear. I want to tell you this morning, God loves you very much. If you came here this morning not knowing Christ as your personal Savior, I want you to know that God loves you very much. He proved it when he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die to pay the penalty for your sin on the cross. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for everyone sitting in this room this morning. Now what he's wanting from you is just to accept that truth and to receive him as your uh, your personal Savior. He just wants a relationship with you. That's all he wants. But I promise you this. He's not going to take it on your terms. You're going to have to come on his. And that's faith and faith alone. And by the way, you're here this morning and you know him. Don't think you can serve God on his terms. You need to learn to deny yourself daily. Take up your cross and follow him. You say, well, I'm not sure what that means. It means just to abandon everything that you have to him. Oh, but I have so much. Yeah, but it's worth nothing without him. And let me tell you something. You'll never give Jesus Christ anything that he won't give it back to you in better shape than it was when you gave it to him. Do you know what a privilege we have as believers to to trust in him, to follow him, to see him work in our lives, to know that we don't have to worry about tomorrow, to know that we don't have to worry about our financial lives, we don't have to worry about the, the health in our lives, we don't have to worry about our family, we don't have to worry about our church, 
We don't have to worry about our job. We don't have to be worryful about anything. In fact, the scripture says, be careful or filled with care for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. We don't have to. And if you're, if you're stressed out and worried about this thing and that thing and the other thing, you need to learn to give it to God. You just need to learn that your father loves you so much that he wants to take care of that situation for you. But he, he's not going to wrestle it out of your hands demanding to take care of it. You're going to have to give it to him yourself. But I've got good news for you. He's very capable. He knows how to do it. and He can handle it really well. Lord, this morning I pray that you'd help us all to learn a lesson. You've taught us from the example of the people of Jerusalem today. Lord, they just wanted you to deliver them from Rome when in fact they They didn't want you to have a part in their lives. Forgive us so much for how we've been so much like them. Lord, thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for helping us to get through the difficult circumstances in life. Lord, there is nothing too hard for our God. Our God is our Father. We've received Christ as our Savior. We have every right to expect you to take care of us. And Lord, I know you want to. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Give us that strong faith in our our true God as we live for you as we deny ourselves the privilege of running things in our lives. We want you to be the boss. Give us direction. Give us, Lord, the peace in our hearts that we've turned it over to you as we should. Help our commitment to be solid. Help our motivation to be right that our end will be a great success and victory for your glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.